This is Design Driven, the podcast about using design thinking to build great products and lasting companies. Whether you're running a startup or trying something new inside a Fortune 1000, the tools, methods, and insights we talk about will help you create things people love. And now, your host, Jay Cornelius. Welcome back to Design Driven, everybody. I am super excited to have Jacob Glenn on the show today. He is the founder of Mgenio. They're a dev shop and uh, kind of visionary shop focused on mobile and cloud development and IoT. Uh, recently, they worked with Moen, you know, the water faucet company, on creating a voice-activated water faucet. I'm eager to hear more about that. And I know you've got lots of other great projects in the works. Jacob, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Jay. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to chat. So um, I'm, I'm super interested in what you're doing in um, kind of the, the emerging tech field or in the world of like, you know, how are we going to leverage some new technology to actually make people's lives better? So uh, talk a little bit about that and maybe just talk a little bit about how you got to where you are and some other stuff you're working on. Sure, sure. Yeah. So I grew up in the... Uh the consulting industry uh, doing kind of innovative technology development um, started working for a software company and kind of moved into um, consulting roles where I was working for companies who whatever the innovative tech they were working on, um, I, I somehow got involved with. And so um, started Mgenio as a mobile development shop. We were just gonna do mobile apps um, and then that quickly evolved um, to where we are today. We, we've been at it for eight years and we, uh, our, our bread and butter today is really IoT, but we still do mobile development and cloud development in, in other spaces. Um, and so you, you mentioned the Moen faucet, that, that's uh, the, probably the, the most well-known uh, project we've worked on because um, you know, they advertised at the Super Bowl and got made fun of on the daily show and things like that. But um, IOT, I think is a really interesting technology space. It's fun to be in it. Um, I think today it's really focused on convenience, things like voice activation, things like being able to you know, turn all the lights off in your house or mm -hmm. you know, yep. you create, create these uh, Jetson like conveniences, uh, if right. you will. But where I think that's headed is going to be uh, a lot of preventative stuff, a lot more like connected systems where if one thing happens, that will trigger a series of other events that prevent, you know, catastrophic failures or um, let you get out in front of, uh, you know, a heating system going down and things like that. So, I, you know, I think that's where a lot of, a lot of the IoT stuff is headed is to more functional, um, preventative uh, and, and kind of broader ecosystem type plays, um, which we're kind of excited about. Uh, yeah, 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 other ways to kind of um, enhance or simplify daily life, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and also to, to improve, like, like things like improving uh, scenarios where you might have a flood or might have something, uh, you know, like your heater fail in the middle of winter like getting out in front of that, it may not be as sexy as I can tell my faucet to turn on or I can, you know, change my thermostat from the couch. But there's a lot of underlying value there that, that we get excited about. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's, there's lots of possibilities uh, around what could be done, right? And so how do you, somebody says, uh, we've got some skills, we've got some technology, we'd like to do something around this. How do you uh, help them define scope for that? That's a, it's a really interesting challenge because uh, technology where it is today and, and the things you can do with software um, and hardware, but, but really the, the, what software lets us do means that anything someone can think of can probably be done in some form. And so people get really excited about adding this feature or that feature. And a lot of times it's important to really step back and focus on the core promise you're trying to deliver on. Um, if it's a faucet, like first it needs to work and work well, right? Like it, it needs to, you know, if you say, give me two tablespoons of water, it needs to give you two tablespoons of water, not a cup, right? Things like that. Right. From a, a design perspective, make sure it's intuitive and easy to use. Because a lot of times when you try to add all these different things, um, you know, bells and whistles uh, that, that are kind of ancillary to the core thing you're trying to deliver, uh, what you end up with is something that's, that's so overcomplicated and, and users don't necessarily adopt it the way you're expecting them to. You go into Moen, for example, and you know, I know you probably can't talk about a lot of the details, but if you go into a company like that and you know that they've got you know, a lot of, of smart people They've got a lot of uh, technology. They've got a lot of assets, a lot of resources. And it's pretty easy to say, oh, we're going to solve this giant problem with this, you know, really complex and really, um, you know, kind of sexy solution. How do you dial that back and say, well, let's, let's just focus on solving something that's, that's small and measurable to make sure we're pointed in the right direction? Yeah, so it, it's, a, it's a constant challenge and it, it's not just an upfront challenge. Uh, it's a challenge throughout the, the life cycle of, of building that initial product because you know, as you go, someone's like, hey, why don't we just add this, right? And you, you have right. that, like, even if you, get, if you get them there upfront, like it creeps back in as you go. Um, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of it is around kind of building that vision and a roadmap and saying like, here's what we're going to do, right? This is the, the long-term vision. Here's the core promise and here's what, what you want to build initially. And let's get that out. Let's get people to use it. Let's learn from that, right? And that's, that's, there's a lot of value in having users using the product and, and learning what they like, what they don't like, what they use, what they ask for. Um, because, you know, when you're in the room uh, designing something that's new, like it, it's easy to, to assume you know everything. Um, we all think we know everything when we're, when we're building something. But uh, once the users use it, they, they tend to use it in ways you don't expect. And that kind of can evolve it. And so it's good to get something out there that does what it's supposed to do really well and is simple and easy to use. And so we focus on upfront laying that out, right? So, so lay out the vision and then, you know, maybe it's a list of features and you draw a line, like this is what goes first, right? Um, mm -hmm. Prioritize them and you draw a line or you lay out phases and you say, okay, phase one is this. And then you really have to keep revisiting that. Um, oh, it's like your charter uh, and it's a living document. You're gonna add to it, but uh, that first piece of it, that, that part's not living, it's set. Right, yeah. Yeah. We talk about that as being the uh, minimum delightful product. Like what is the smallest thing we can get out that people can use that 
will solve some type of problem in a measurable way and, you know, help that customer that, you know, that user feel better about accomplishing that task. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Uh, we use, we use the term MVP, right. It was pretty commonly used minimum viable product in the industry, but I like the delightful. That's great. Well, you know, it adds that level of, uh, you know, you want people to enjoy using things. You want people to, um, to not feel bad. Like it's easy to accomplish a task and feel bad about doing it. Right. It's like, Oh, that really sucked. But you want right. people to feel like, it's like, Oh, that was actually pretty easy. That was, and, and then they, you know, that's, that's uh, goes a long way in building brand affinity and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, so when you get, let's say that we've got that defined, right? So we know what the thing is that we want to build. We've got our North Star, if you will. And we've got our initial release target, that thing that we're going to try to get out, that MDP, the minimum delightful product. Then how do you decide who is involved in that process? Who builds the thing? Who designs the thing? And, and how do they work together? Yeah. Uh, so I think... The, there's kind of a new world evolving in the sense of what your teams look like. Uh, a lot of the companies we work with are historically led by marketing or engineering. They are, you know, a manufacturing company that is either marketing drives the products and, and everybody kind of falls in line and delivers to what marketing asks for, or engineering drives it because they're developing the products and then, you know, everybody else goes out and makes that work. Um, and a lot of times when we get brought in, it's because, uh, they don't have that expertise, uh, to, to add the technical component to the product and it, that's not the role it is traditionally played. Right. Uh, it is, you know, keep the systems up kind of team, not the innovate and develop new software kind of team. And so. Right. In my mind, where we see success, the successful team is cross-discipline. You've got, you've got to have um, voices at the table from all those places. You need, a, you know, you need the marketing team to, to be bought in, so they've got to be at the table. But you also need the product development team, which is, you know, in a smart product, it's, there's mechanical, there's electrical, there's software, uh, there's firmware. There's a lot of different folks there, and you got to get everybody together and marching towards the same thing. Um, so if you don't have that cross-discipline team, I think you end up in a scenario where a lot of the team gets frustrated and it's hard to get uh, things done um, the right way because you have people who don't necessarily um, have the, the right kind of perspective on things. How, how can this work? How should this work? Um, is what is kind of best practice when you're building a mobile app, you know, or what's best practice in the IoT space? What do people expect when they're setting up a device and getting it on their network? Right. Um, if you don't have all these different pieces together, um, then uh, it does, it, it, it inevitably, uh, you hit a lot more roadblocks than you would if you did. Yeah, we advocate for, um, you have to have, a stakeholder, and you know, it doesn't have to be you know the CEO, but it should be you know a decision-making stakeholder from each team that will participate in building the thing in the room at the first meeting. And those people need to be involved all the way through the process because you know you've probably seen this too. You know we've seen situations where somebody who's on the design team says that oh well we need to have you know this UI element put this information in the box. 
and they start going down that path. And then somebody from the technical team says, well, the database isn't really set up that way. So we're going to have to, you know, recreate something or you know, refactor a bunch of data in order for it to be that way. So if we do it this other way, we don't have to refactor stuff, which helps us get it out faster. And then they can come to some type of uh, agreement on how something should be built. But had the, the technical person not been in the room, the design person would have gone ahead and built something that would have you know, created a giant delay in the process. So it's always good to have a, a representative from every team in the room at all of those functional meetings. Absolutely. I, I can tell you about uh, a scenario, uh, try to mask the, the customer, but um, a scenario where we had, uh, there was a, a marketing person who was Kind of newer but had some ownership of of what what was being built and there was a team in place that had kind of started down a path um and the this marketing person came in and you know being from a marketing driven organization had the mentality of well i'm going to make the decisions and you guys are just going to go do it right so came in and said we're going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to do this and this is the process and this is the workflow and that's how it's going to be you know go do it and you know one of the one of the technical folks said, well, wait a minute, what, you know, what about this and this and, and why? And, and the answer was, well, because it's my decision. And I said, so like, that's what we're going to do. It's my call. Um, right. And this was, you know, there, if you think about the, the history of this individual, he came from a marketing driven organization where, you know, he felt like he was being challenged because uh, you know, that's just how things worked. But it doesn't work and he, he didn't understand he didn't understand how the, the technology worked right and so there had to be some uh, massaging of that situation to to get us all back on track because not only was the the team engaged on the technical side you know felt defeated and frustrated and, and undervalued because of that mentality but also like the project was at risk because of the decisions that were were being made without full knowledge so um you know, it, it's, it can create real failures if you don't have that. Um, yeah. And I have many stories on the other side where you get everybody together and you hash this stuff out and you, you lay out a, you know, a strong kind of vision upfront, um, technical architecture, you know, like all the design fronts, technical architecture, the, the UI, the UX, the functional, the physical, all of those different components together. If you can get those laid out kind of up front with a vision, they'll, they'll change, but like doing that up front can, can really create synergies as you move through that process. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, talking about all that stuff up front, because what I was gonna ask next on that, that kind of team communication topic is, um, you know, what are some ways you see to set a team up for success? You know, what have you seen that works? And then what are some signals that things are going sideways and you need to kind of course correct? Yeah. Um, so, so it's exactly that, that upfront discussion, uh, you know, we're, we live in a world where um, agile is, you know, the, the way that things are done. And, and some people say, well, that means you don't have to figure things out in the, at the beginning. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, uh, if you, if you don't figure the things out at the beginning, Only that were true. <laughs> right. You know, um, uh, you're just going to do, do these two week sprints and adjust like, you're never going to finish um, is, is kind of how I view it. Because if you don't lay that out and you're not working towards some bigger picture, um, 
you're going to just, you're going to spin. Um, and so uh, certainly laying those things out up front, getting the team on the same page and making sure that, um, you know, sometimes it's knowing who, who like once you're underway, like making sure everybody knows who, who to go to for different types of issues. Right. Yeah. Um, because that, that matrix, that communication matrix can shortcut a lot of delays because if you have, um, if you have someone going to the wrong person and neither of those two people know that they aren't the people who should be making that decision or aren't the people who should be um, figuring out that problem, uh, then they come up with a solution without bringing in the right people and you, you end up with more issues to, to resolve. Um, so, so I think that's one thing is, is the communication matrix after the upfront work is, is really valuable. Um, and I think that if you, if you look at uh, how teams communicate, I mean, I think the more interaction you can have, the more touch points um, and the more like, I'm not a, I, I personally am not like great at the attaboys and the, the uh, pat on the backs. I'm, I'm very kind of like heads down, um, but I think the the group kind of celebrations of milestones is valuable in um, making that team successful together, um, especially when there's you know tough spots. Yeah, exactly. And there's there's always going to be a time where people don't see things the same way, or people might have a disagreement, or uh, there might be competing um, goals. Right. So, how do you see? teams that are uh, healthy and functioning well, how do you see them resolve those differences? I think that a lot of times a healthy team will resolve those differences in, in one of two ways. One is uh, like a deference to expertise. Like we're just going to trust in, you know, whoever is the, the right person in this scenario, right, we'll, we'll defer to the, the cloud expert because this is mostly a cloud problem, or we'll defer to the firmware guy because it's, uh, you know, we got to decide somewhere where this is going to happen and, and he thinks this is the right place. We're going to trust that, right? So if you have a high functioning team, you have these trust in, your, in the different expertises, then that's one place. Um, and the other is spirited debate, right? Like there, yep. there, there are times, especially, I mean, I've presided over some pretty interesting uh, technical debates and architecture debates um, with folks who, you know, uh, everybody has their, their worldview, right? So the app guys, you know, understand the app really well and the cloud guys understand the cloud and the firmware guys understand the firmware. And, you know, they all have this view of they're the middle of the world, right? <laughs> um, and so, so sometimes that spirit of debate is, is, positive in getting to the right result, as well as positive in that it educates the other parts about like more than just their worldview. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know if you've read Ray Dalio's book Principles, but he talks about believability. So you know, who is the person who we're going to defer to on certain topics because they, we all agree, they know the most. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't read that. Um, I'll add it to my list, but yeah. you know, it was funny as I was saying that I was thinking like, I, I feel like I'm talking about like uh, political or philosophical context here. Um, 
versus a, a technical and, and, and design context, but you know, it's all the same. Yeah, it is. And that's what it takes to get a team functioning, right? Like we're, we're all humans trying to work together and exactly. you know, building a product is a thing that humans do together. There's a lot of things humans do together. So if we can understand those interpersonal dynamics, then it goes a long way in helping a team function better. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I was going to bring up, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, who is the person we're going to defer to. Another thing we think about, you know, there's a, uh, one of the leaders on our team calls it, you know, who's the designated ringable neck? You know, who's the yeah. person who, uh, you know, if this decision goes bad, they're the one on the hook for it, right? Yep. Or, you know, if, if we need to get something, uh, some resource or an asset or whatever, you know, who's the person who can green light that or who's the person who can red light that? Who's the ringable neck? So, yeah, I think it's smart to define who those people are early on your project team so that when those decisions and those conflicts come up, you already have kind of a, a game plan, if you will, for how to address them. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So what, what are some other things that you see teams doing um, either exceptionally well or things that might be dysfunctional that we should try to, you know, that, that, that teams should be aware of and, and try to avoid? Yeah, I think there's, you know, in, in what we do, I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of, uncertainty, I guess is the word I'll use as to what's the best way to structure things when you have, um, for example, multiple projects going at the same time, right? You've got a, a roadmap of IoT devices versus just you're doing one and you're sharing resources across those. Um, I think that uh, one of the, like, like structuring that the right way from a, a management perspective uh, can lead to a lot of success and a lot of productivity. Um, whereas if you don't do it the right way, it can have a very negative impact on all of those projects. Um, because if you've got, if you've got this cross discipline team and you've got uh, multiple things that they're working towards and you can't manage the priority across them, you get people who are confused or frustrated and you get people who, um, just by their nature may kind of like focus on the one that they're most interested in. And yep. so, you know, some things get ahead in some areas, but not in other areas. And, you know, for this to, for, to take a technology enabled product to market, you've got a lot of things that have to line up before mm -hmm. it's ready to go. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you can't manage getting all those things lined up for one, um, you're in trouble. If you try to do it across, say, four at once with a shared pool of resources, it's a it's a real challenge, and you need uh, a really strong, um, I'll say, leader. A lot of times, that's a project or program manager. Um, could be technical, could be non-technical, just depends. But uh, you need a really strong leader who can sit over top of that and kind of make sure that everybody's on the same page, while also not overwhelming people with meetings. Um, that's the trade-off. Yeah. And it's a tough balance to strike is, you know, how do we communicate without spending all of our day, you know, on a zoom call? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, and I have, I, I have developers that work for me. Um, and, and I know, you know, anybody who has a craft, right? Like they want to, they want to execute on that craft. 
Right? So, right. so my developers hate being in meetings because they can't write code while they're in a meeting. And, yep. you know, and I, I've worked with designers who like, you know, they want to create the designs and, or they, or they need time to be creative and yep. they can't do that in a meeting if it's not focused on that. Yeah, no, completely agree. So the, the, the last thing that I wanted to chat about you or chat about with, <laughs> chat, <laughs> sorry, chat about with you is um, this concept of, of innovation. And you know, like two, there's two quotes that everyone likes to go back to, right? And there's the, the Ford quote about, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. And then the jobs quote about, um, you know, people don't know what they want until you show it to them. Yep. So, you know, you've talked about how difficult it can be to do what everyone thinks of as user-centered design when you're creating something that has never existed before, because people just don't know. People don't know what you know what their expectations are. They don't know you know a lot of things. So, you know, how do you manage that? What, what do you do in those instances where you're creating something that's never existed, but you're trying to make sure that you're going to do it in a way that people will embrace? Yeah, and and so I run into a lot of. Uh, a lot of people who have that perspective, the, the Steve Jobs, like, uh, you know, you need a visionary, they're gonna just define what people want for them. Um, and, and I think that's a, an easy path to take, right? Um, you, you ultimately have a, rec, a, a neck to ring, right? In that scenario, um, right. if the product's a failure, it's because the visionary got it wrong. Um, but I think the way that I think about it is it, if you are developing something new that people don't have, um, you can certainly take cues from the things that people do have that are successful. You can certainly take cues from the way people use things today and then think about how will, um, how will like from a process perspective and a systems thinking perspective, how will um, adding technology remove pain points, add convenience, make things easier? And then if you take that and wrap it up in a, if that's your focus, it's, it, it becomes easier to design something that doesn't uh, throw out everything and depend on one person's vision. Right. Um, and then pair that viewpoint with a uh, get something out back to what we started with. Right. Get something out that delivers on the core promise that's light on features, but simple and, and works well and then add things over time. Then you can continue to learn what the users want, how they use things. And, and you can kind of. It's a step function almost, right? Um, yeah. And so that's how I think about it. Um, I certainly work with folks, um, you know, some of our customers, like, you know, the guy who hired us, he, his view is he's the visionary and he wants us to build it the way, you know, he thinks it should be done and, and or she, right? And, and so in that scenario, you know, that's, that's the plight we, we are in. We try to provide perspective and experience um, while you know still delivering on what they're asking for yep yep agree agree and and i think about it in terms of of risk like how much risk is the 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 person who is the ringable neck how much risk are they willing to take or how much risk is the organization willing to take 
to see this through. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, Apple could afford to take a pretty big risk when they came out with the iPod. Apple could afford to take a big risk when they came out with the iPhone. And I think that, you know, there's probably um, a lot of stuff that happened behind the scenes at Apple that helped them make sure that they were going in the right direction with those products. You know, they're, they're pretty secretive in their, in their development. Right. Which to me is fascinating when you see, you know, a new product that hasn't existed yet. And you think about the process that got it there. Um, you know, what are the things that are always true across those organizations? And it always seems that, you know, there is a strong visionary, but there's also strong leadership in terms of developing that product and, uh, and keeping it on track. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what's, what's your view on the, uh, on the visionary question? Where well, you fall? like I was saying, you know, it really depends on, on their risk tolerance. I mean, yeah, we can go out and create something that has never existed before and it might flop. Um, yeah. And so in a way, like what, what I reference in my book is going back to, you know, the customers and really trying to get a solid understanding of the problem. And when you're trying to solve a problem people don't know they have, like it, that takes a special kind of vision. Yeah. And it takes a special way to define that problem, right? So mm -hmm. we didn't know that we needed Uber until Uber existed. Right. And really what it was is a connection of a couple of dots. And it's like, hey, why doesn't, why, why isn't this a thing? And then trying to understand that problem, like the reason it's not a thing is because maybe there's no way to accomplish the payment between strangers. So if we can solve connecting strangers and facilitating a payment between those strangers and making, you know, helping people feel safe in the process, well, then we've just unlocked a lot of value. And so now Uber's ubiquitous, right? Yeah. And so them going, you know, like when Travis went and, and started trying to build that company, you know, there was a lot of, of tough conversations, I'm sure. Um, and you know, we all know what the end result is. Um, it, the thing is, were they willing to take the risk that they could solve that thing and that people would respond to it? So you know, one of the things that we talk about is what is that minimum delightful product? How do we build one thing that's measurable that can tell us if we're going in the right direction or not? And so I, I think that, you know, vision has to be accomplished in increments and, uh, and, and iterations. You know, you can yeah. have a, you gotta, you gotta have to, you know, I guess going back to that, uh, you know, that, that, that old euphemism about you eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? You just have to kind of start working at it. Right. Well, you know, it, the other thing is, I think, like you said, it, it, it happens in increments. Like, I think about some of the, the innovations that are like, you know, groundbreaking innovations. You can talk about Uber, but before Uber, you know, there were like ways to hail a taxi with an app, right? It was still a taxi. You still paid the taxi driver the same way you always did, but you could, you know, find them on an app and see them on a map. Um, before Nest came out, there were programmable thermostats. They just weren't connected to the internet, right? Like, so like, right. I think about like, but people don't really think about that uh, the, those increments, right? Because it was like with Nest, it was, there was never a smart thermostat and then all of a sudden there was, except you had a programmable one, right? You just had to stand there and like poke all the buttons 45 times to get it to, you know, span your program across seven days. Yeah, yeah. It's just the experience of using it was terrible. Just like exactly. the experience of using a taxi is pretty bad. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, 
No, so yeah, there's there's certainly a gap to be closed in a lot of other areas around, uh, you know, and I don't know what all of them are. You know, if I did, I'd, I'd be Elon Musk. There's a lot of things that, um, uh, that that are still yet to be built. So it's interesting to see how how that innovation will um, continue to develop, and uh, and I'm really excited to see, you know, what, what you guys work on next, and I'm excited to see what a lot of other smart people are working on next, and you know where we're going to be in five years. It'll be an interesting conversation. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a, it's both a fun and crazy time to be alive. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Well, well, Jacob, let's wrap it up there, man. I really appreciate you um, taking some time to chat with me today. You know, I, I always like um, you know reading your thoughts and, and hearing what you're working on. Um, if somebody wants to get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing or chat more about this kind of stuff, what's the best way to do it? Sure. Uh, well, yeah. First of all, thanks for having me. This has been fun. I've enjoyed it. Um, I can be, you know, so our company, mgenio.com, uh, you can learn about us there. And then uh, the only social place that I am uh, is, is LinkedIn, but I'm pretty easy to find on LinkedIn um, and always respond uh, there. So Cool. Well, we'll link all that stuff up in the show notes. Um, again, thanks for your time. Really enjoyed the conversation. Um, happy holidays. We're recording this in December of uh, 2020. So uh, happy holidays. And I hope to chat with you again soon next year. Yep. Sounds good. Same to you. All right. Take care. That's it for today. Design Driven is brought to you by Nine Labs, guiding innovators and product teams through executing their vision. Find out how they can help improve your digital products at NineLabs.com. Have comments, questions, or an idea you'd like us to cover? Point your browser to designdriven.biz and click Contact Us at the top of your screen. We'd love to hear from you. Tell your friends and colleagues about the Design Driven Pod. Post on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or send them an email and tell them to go to designdriven.biz or wherever they find their podcasts. Until next time, remember what Thomas Watson, founder of IBM, said. Good design is good business.